If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary Internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world? We have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Jeff Ritzman. Jeremy Vaney. It is the last show of the year. That's right. 2010 will be but a memory very soon. A memory of but. Of oil spills. <laughs> Who remembers war. that? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I just saw Fair Game, the movie Fair Game, which is all mm-hmm. about the Valerie Plame, uh, you know, the outing of the CIA agent, Valerie Plame. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just. So much crime has been committed in the last decade that who even remembers? You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's I like, guarantee wow, you. I guess we need these movies to like to, to, to hone in on specific crimes so that we can remember what the hell happened. Right. Well, I'm sure the fish and pelicans remember. <laughs> well, they're still choking down the oil. Uh, that's a whole other crime. I think the so, real crime is that Obama uh, decided not to investigate anything that happened ever. <laughs> Let's just move on and let the criminals free. Great. Well, I stay away politics. from politics. That's right. Yeah, I'll stay away from that. Um. So, last week we did um, sort of a year in review-ish of yeah. topics, and this week we're doing sort of a year in review-ish of uh, general subject matter that we've covered on this show. So, it should be interesting when Micah Hanks, uh, who... Uh, this is his first time on the show. Yes. Um, and he just wrote a book that I have yet to read, although I have it on good authority that it is a good book called Magic Mysticism and the Mushroom Men. Is that what it's called? That That's a joke. Uh, Magic Mysticism and the Molecule. That's right. <laughs> which produces mushroom. The Mushroom Men, yes. <laughs> so that'll be fun. Do we... Have anything that we want to cover before we get to uh, Micah? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, not as of yet. All right. Do we want anything? To- that, anything you wanted to cover? Or? No, I don't know. I just I didn't know if we should be talking about Paratopia quarterly or not, which is coming upon us somewhat soon. Uh, yeah, end of January. Um, well, we got most of the content together. It's just uh, it's all a matter of layout right now. Um. Yeah, well, I mean, we're towards the end of January. We'll talk more about that as time grows closer. But it's, uh, I'll tell you what, it's shaping up to be a, uh, 
uh, a, pr- a pretty amazing uh, first issue. Yes. Really. I mean, we've really come into some good stuff, good writers, good content. So I think everybody will be very pleased. Could we say that we're finishing the job? <laughs> that we started? <laughs> um, I think that might be safe to say. All right. We're finishing. And if uh, we're talking, you know, we we're are talking in code here now, but we're <laughs> we finishing are. the job that we started. We're taking out the garbage. Well, we are an agenda driven show after all. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So consider yourself warned, ufology. Yeah. When this when this magazine hits, uh, it's game over for abduction research. Mm, yeah. It's already game over, but people just don't know. I, I, think, it, I think it already yeah. is, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> Apparently they haven't gotten the news yet, but. <laughs> it'll trickle through, don't worry. Yeah. It takes a while to get around, but uh, it'll get around. So we'll just, we'll let that hang in the air, and uh, you can imagine with your eyes and ears of the soul what we're talking about. You know, I have a question for the listeners while I'm thinking about it. Go on. And this is something I want you guys to take notice of when you're surfing about the net that isn't Peritopia or, or, or you know, any of the shows that we may be tenuously connected to. Um, how often do you see any of the hypnosis stuff brought up and questioned and picked apart like we've done here? Are you guys out there surfing about? Um, I mean, obviously, in some ways, we're going to be running almost the same circles. But do you guys notice that this is filtering through a little bit? Or are you seeing no evidence that anyone is is taking note of it at all? I'm just curious what everyone out there, what your perspective is. Just uh, drop me an email at podcast at gmail.com and, and let me know. I'm curious because, I, God knows, I don't get around to many places on the net besides uh, Buff Top Secret and, and our message board and a couple other places, but uh, I, I'm sure there's a lot of little nooks and crannies. I'm curious if this is, uh, it, you know, is it all germinating anywhere else besides uh, this show? Well, you know, we already know that it, it, at least two researchers, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll just keep them anonymous because they're going to be on another show soon, but I don't think it's been announced, and I don't know if that's screwing with, you know, that show's schedule. So I'll just say that, that they say on his show, on this other person's show, uh, that the Emma Woods case just sort of slipped them by because they they just figure it's a he said, she said thing. <laughs> and so, you know, the analogy yeah. to me is that now we're at a point with ufology where you can't tell the difference between he said, he said, she said, and a woman yelling rape. <laughs> like even the good people can't tell the difference. A real issue versus a yeah. versus, versus just more infighting. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's disappointing and uh, disgusting. <laughs> well, I mean, and again, I don't, I don't, I'm not even clear who you're talking about, but I, I would have to question whoever they are that how much do you care that you don't even look? I don't know. I mean, it seems like it would be a pretty big issue to me. Um, but, but that's, I, I don't know. I, I would think it'd be a big issue to most people um, who have an interest in this, at least in that facet of it. I'd be surprised uh, that someone wouldn't find it uh at least noteworthy. Well, does this stuff happen all the way through ufology? Like, were there cases of this coming up with, even in contact e circles or way back when? I mean, if there were, would they just get ignored? I mean, you just get the sense that, like, you just wait five or ten years and this, this whole Jacobs thing will be wrapped up in a nice uh, sort of trickster 
bow, you know, <laughs> and it'll be part of yeah. the mythology of ufology. It won't. It won't even be that this man's responsible for his own actions or that this even you know happened the way it it did. <laughs> the facts well, be damned. It will just end up part of this mythology of we can't yeah. know because. We don't know anything in this field. We don't even know if contactees were bullshit, even though well, we do, even though we know full well they were bullshit. Right. Well, I think I think the problem is, is and, I, and I've talked about this before, is the short-term memory of, of ufology is like, you know, you could uh, you could burn down the barn tomorrow and, and five years or even less down the line, you could resurface in this and no one would really, you know, you might get a few call outs, but other than that, you can plow through that. You're back on the, on the fast track. So, um, I, I think what uh, what at least uh, uh, Emma's case has going for it is that there's a lot of data. <laughs> um, there's a lot of recordings. There's a lot of her writing. There's a lot of uh, all of that. So I think if anybody's looking for something to back up what she says, so that it's not a he said she said type of thing, that would be that. You know, um, I would like to know at this point how can you say, well, I figure it's a. It, it, a he said, she said thing, and so I still haven't looked into it. To me, that implies you believe David Jacobs because he's the only one saying it's a he said, she said mm. thing. If you actually listen to the tapes instead of listening to him misdirect about how the tapes were edited, um, then you see very clearly what this is. It's not he said, she said. Well, I think when it comes to to this stuff, again, there is so much infighting. So much. And and after a while, the minute that you hear some kind of upheaval, it's just like, in a way, I can almost understand it. But this seems to be – the gravity of this seems to be a little bit more important than your garden variety infighting. But there's so much of it. I can, I can almost see from a certain perspective how you go, oh, God, not more. I, I, I don't – you know what? I don't even – it does whatever. I'm, I, I want to look at this. I'm, that doesn't – I don't care. I, I'm sick of hearing all this nonsense going on. Um, but clearly, if, if you've done even the most cursory look at this, you can tell that there's a little bit more than just infighting going on here um, for this. I mean this is a, it's a pretty big deal when it comes to – Well, as far as even infighting goes, I mean can anyone name a time when any experiencer stepped forward and said – the hypnosis and all of this stuff is bullshit. I mean, that's not <laughs> infighting, you know? Like, no. how, how is that even on the surface infighting? It's never happened before, as far as I know. I don't know. It all depends on how this person got their taste of it, you know, from what direction, from what outlet, talking to whom about what. I mean, it depends on how it came up for them. They may not even know the whole story or, or what the story even is. I mean, clearly. Um, because I, I think it would be important enough to to look into, at least. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you equate it with infighting. It's, it's all a matter of circumstance. How do you find out about it? Uh, because because I'll, I'll tell the listeners before you email me, um, the places that I've looked around, I've never seen it come up, which I'm amazed at, you know, because a lot of places that I go kind of pride themselves on, you know, being the first with a sighting or with a, a landing trace case or video or whatever. And yet this doesn't seem to pop up, which I find really, I find really amazing. And let's not forget that there is, um, in addition to the short term memory of this field, there's also this notion of, I've got my ufological hero. 
I've got my belief system built upon their work. And so to disregard that, I can't acknowledge that or I'm, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I'm disavowing any of my belief systems. And that's that's where we've got an even big – that to me is the bigger problem uh, that, that hypnosis is calls. Is it, it's built a belief system upon this is what's going on. It's a hybridization program. It's all of those tandem things together. And that's what this is about. And now that rug has been pulled from out underneath that, underneath of that. And, and now where do you go? Um, that's the bigger problem. Well, it's, it's why, how many times are we going to say now, where do you go? Because the rug has been pulled out from under all of this so many times, contactees mm-hmm. down the tubes, all of that, you know, secret military bases, secret handshake deals, you know, humans in vats, body parts, and things like <laughs> right. that. Uh, all Richard Doty nonsense. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's been exposed. Now alien abduction research via hypnosis, um, this is being uh, picked apart. So uh, all, of th- all of everything outside of just the fact that there is this seeming intelligence <laughs> of some yeah. sort interacting with some people right. is gone. Outside of that very vague general concept, it, mm. it's gone. And, and as far as UFOs go, I think Jacques Vallée's work and, and even, um, uh, 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 was it Keith Chester? Yes. Uh, you know, in showing that the Foo Fighters weren't just blobs, but also, you know, sort of structured craft-looking things in the same way that Jacques Vallée's book is, has structured craft-looking things. I mean, it sort of takes away the mythology of 1940s, that this all started in the 1940s. Mm-hmm. You know, we maybe we detonated a bomb and that attracted some some creatures that didn't like where we were going or whatever. Uh, all of that is out the window. Like, all of all of ufology is out the window. We're, we're down <laughs> to the basics of, we don't know what this is, it's been with us forever, mm-hmm. uh... And it's either cloaked in our own cultural contamination, or or we're cloaking it in cultural contamination, or or some combination. I mean, that, the jury's still out on that, I think. But we don't know. We don't know what this is. We're back to we don't know, but we're definitely saying what it isn't, and it isn't any of this X Files shit. <laughs> it isn't any of this Space Brothers contactee shit. Well, there's <laughs> again. For all of this stuff, there's there's what is there two or three things that to me nail it down. One is belief, the belief that this stuff is based upon. Number two is uh, for a whole another subset of this culture, if you want to subculture, uh, it is the the capital venture of this. Um, neither of those two are going to come down very easily. Those are pretty, pretty big brick walls that people have built up around that. But the third part of it is, uh, luckily, is the subset of people who truly care about what is going on. And so if you don't care about it, you're okay with deluding yourself. You know what I mean? It's like you can live with that. Uh you, you, if you're not truly curious about this and dying to find out what the answer is, and you may have to do just that to get it, um, you, you're satisfied with, with with whatever Dungeons and Dragons answers comes down the pike at you, because you've got to have the answer. You know, it's that desire for the easy easy way out or easy resolution, so you can move on, and whether it's to move on away from this field or to move on into it. 
um, you know, those are the two big nuts to be cracked. Is 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 that? And I, you know, I don't think you're gonna you're going to have, um, for instance, I don't think you're going to have somebody like Stanton Friedman, who's been a career ufologist for as long as I can remember, suddenly step back and go, this part of my research I don't feel was valid. You know, I, I just I just don't see that happening, and I also don't see a lot of people listening to us and saying. Uh, well, I agree with you, but you know this guy's really on the money. <laughs> Everybody's not okay with saying we don't really have a good handle on this, even yet we don't have a really good handle. And to boot, we've been diluting ourselves with one portion of it for quite a many years. Uh, I mean, that's a problem for a lot of people. I don't know why. Well, because it's been pumped at us all these years as the only yeah, but I, I think, option. Yeah, but 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 on some level, I think it's it's. Um, <sighs> Nobody likes to get duped, you know what I mean? <laughs> and nobody wants to admit they got taken. And I don't know what's so, so wrong about that. If, if something is, uh, whether it's misleading deliberately or indeliberately, um, to be misled is to be misled. It because happens it's not after. just like you got misled. It's, like, it's what you said originally. It's, it's uh, <sighs> look, people don't want to, it's not like you're just being misled or being duped about one thing. This one thing branches out into other areas. Oh, absolutely. And these other areas have come to define you. And so, mm-hmm. for instance, I got uh, an email with a link uh, from a friend who knows all about our David Jacobs shenanigans and read my article and has listened to our show. Mm-hmm. Yet and still, she thought it would be prudent to send me a link to um, a regression past life session <laughs> with like the topic like, isn't this amazing? Look at this information. Yeah, and so I read a little. I skim through a little bit of it, and it's this guy claiming to remember a future life <laughs> where he lives yeah. on the moon and all this right. nonsense. And uh, and not only so, not only is the setup of it nonsense, but the hypnotists the the hypnotist I'm sorry asks him he's on the moon, you know, with these people, blah blah blah. And the hypnotist says, "Well, what are you doing? Are you working? Is this your job?" You know, does it get more leading than that? He didn't right. mention work. He didn't mention a job. He's just talking about being on the moon. Right. And so from there it goes into working on the moon. Now, why would she send me that? Because clearly she, and this is like some passive-aggressive attempt to um, to hold on to hypnosis and to say, look, there's still some amazing stuff here, right? I mean, look at this. This is amazing. Because you get rid of hypnosis – you're not just getting rid of alien abduction lore. You're getting rid of past life regression. You're getting rid of all of that, that new age stuff that popped up out of that, that you probably at this point have even forgotten, uh, developed out of hypnosis, you know, because just the stories themselves have so been canonized and stood on their own that you probably forget that the original story came out of hypnosis. (laughs) I mean, all of that goes away. Yeah, so that's a hard thing to give up because that's something that you've believed in that appeals to you and that you go, oh, my God, yes, I so relate to that. I so want that to be the case. You know? And you've so built upon that. Yeah, you, you invest you your built. life in this. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I had a uh, – just before we get to, to Mika, uh, I, I had a friend on Facebook. Uh, and I get a lot of, uh, uh, I guess through the show, I get a lot of Facebook friend requests and stuff like that. And I usually do like – a bunch of them in a day. And I don't know how I got to be friends with this person, but the past couple posts, I've noticed this really weird, these weird pictures. And I looked at one of them 
uh, yesterday was of the moon. There were two shots of the moon. One, the moon as we see it, pale, you know, and uh, shaded on one side, that, that, that look we're all familiar with. And then the other one, which was uh, clearly color-adjusted, over-color-adjusted. And this person says something to the effect of, clearly when you adjust the levels, there's vegetation on the moon. Why doesn't NASA know this? My response should have been, <laughs> it's all true. are you mad? <laughs> or this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Or are you mad? <laughs> Instead, my reply was, defriend, block. Right. It, it's just like, you know, at some point, and, and, and believe me, it, this person seems like a perfectly friendly person, but I can't be around that anymore. I can't because that just makes me hate this all the more. I already hate it. <laughs> I told you this, you know, uh, what, a week ago. Um, I hate this, which is why, I've, I've, you know, we've told people this on the show before. That we're, you know, we're going to branch out a little bit broader on paranormal topics this year. And, and I'm really looking forward to something uh, because, frankly, you don't just piss me off anymore. Um, I, I really, I, I get up from doing this show and it used to be that I'd, you know, I'd really, uh, read a lot on the net about it and, uh, uh, keep my finger on the pulse and read filers files and all that sort of thing. I, you know, do the rounds and I don't do that anymore. Essentially, if we have a guest, I'll read the book that they wrote. I'll prepare a couple days in advance. And once I get done the show, I'm off until next week. Um, I mainly read, uh, either DMT or trickster stuff or, you know, not ufological matters at all. So I, you know, I just saw that and I thought, Jesus, it's everywhere. It's even in my Facebook. (laughs) I can't escape the nuttiness. You know, there's vegetation on the moon. And clearly you can see between these two uh, places of vegetation, you can see a scar on the planet that's beige. That's the bedrock. Oh, yeah. I have just but one question for you, sir, before yeah. we get into this interview. Yeah. Um, and I may have asked this on another show. I don't remember. I feel like I probably should have. Um, but since you did, you know, you were an investigator and you also did group chat sessions yeah. with experiencers um, of the people that you know that outright recall from, you know, memory – uh-huh. Their experiences. Do any of them sound like the Jacobs, Hopkins, or even John Mack, or even Barbara Lamb, or any of that stuff? Do any of them sound like hypnotically retrieved testimony? One that I can remember, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not so totally sure that he didn't have regression therapy done. I I never I never really got to know this person all that well. But the things that he talked about were very clinical, sterile environments, um, medical, that sort of thing, operating theaters. But most of the people that I that I was close with, that I was friends with, uh, no, I would say most of them were, uh, and not even uh, not even always ufologically th- themed. If you get my meaning, there there's some stuff that just doesn't fit into that, such as orbs of light in the house, <laughs> you know, uh, assorted weirdness like that. 
Do you uh, have any of their contact info? Could you get in touch with them and, and see if their experiences have changed the way yours have? I, I could probably. Um, well, there's your little project. <laughs> well, you're talking about somebody that I knew probably more than a decade ago, so I'm not sure he's even alive. Um, but I can definitely check. I mean, that was that was the one time that I heard him talk, and he mentioned things that seemed very similar to me to that. And I thought that I, at the time, I thought, well, that's interesting, you know, because I never have that. I guess my genetic code's not any good. Um, but then the more I talk to other people, and you got to realize that even in those groups uh, at the onset, this is the first time that a lot of these people had talked about their experiences and with anyone at all. And so everybody was a little reserved. And uh, uh, and I think that, that Lee and I were kind of the ones that went in full force and said, whatever we – this is it. We're out with it right now, right here with these people. Uh, and I think that kind of broke the ice. And then after that, people started you know, coming back with the uh, – there were, I'll put it to you this way, there were definitely experiences that I heard that people absolutely took as really happened to them uh, in bodily form that I knew were just absolute nonsense. I mean, just, I'm sure it was their perception, but I don't think it had any basis in what was really going on. Uh, if there is such a thing as a screen memory, I don't know that I believe that or not. I'm not sure what that even exactly means uh but it definitely had an altered state feel but it had a very continuous extraterrestrial thematic throughout it but it was it was real absurd and i don't mean this to say weird in the sense of weird i mean this was like well i mean i'll I'll say that you know one one woman going on board a mothership to shop for shoes with her daughter right yeah you told us about that you know that just doesn't that doesn't hold for me. Um, that may have been what she perceived. I don't think she was lying, but do I think that's really what was going on? Not likely. Not for me. No. But anyone so, who struck you like, yeah, that's the same thing I'm going through. Oh yeah, yeah, couple. Yeah, I've met I've met about a half a dozen people who actually their experiences started in childhood and ended in childhood almost exactly like mine. Hmm. But that's all it's been is about, about six over the years. And that's, you know, like I said, it's 20, 24 years this year. So, um, most people, when you talk about spinning white squares and black sheets, they just look at you weird, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So there's that. Very good. Well, let us get on with the show. Any final thoughts before we start the new year? Because we will not have time for an after chat. Um, a happy new year, everybody. Thank you to our subscribers, which we did last time, but it bears saying again. <laughs> uh, thank you for letting us have the show and for subscribing to it. And, uh, and, and thanks to all the great guests we've had this year, because there's been a lot of really great guests this year. And uh, and hope that continues. And I hope you all like the magazine when it comes out. I think you will. So uh, anyway, you. <laughs> I think you, I think you just stole everything. I, I, what, what can I say? Except like ditto at that point. Here comes the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Leave me a breadcrumb, man. Leave me a breadcrumb. I mean, that's it. I mean, really, these people are the reason we're able to do this. I mean, that I like the fans too. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) 
I mean, I hate to sound too PBS about it, but this is listener supported, and um, and and we do appreciate the support because without it, we couldn't absolutely could not do what we do. Uh, and uh, and this summer uh, and spring, because let's face it, in the winter time, there's nothing paranormal going on. You don't want to go out in the cold, but come spring, oh boy, we're taking some people out on the road. Uh, so that's that's going to be coming up, and uh, uh, I think one is going to be a trip to Point Lookout, and uh, and if not the lighthouse, we're at least going to set up campground on the uh, the haunted area of that area, and and probably a couple of sky watches that I would like to do. And there's been a couple of of pretty pretty prominent sightings around Maryland lately and, uh, and not far from my house. Are you going to call them in with the flashlights? And yes. The- we are in a vector craft in to within a hundred meters. <laughs> that sounds good. You can attend for only $800. If you, after you sign my non-disclosure agreement, it takes place at the, uh, Kennedy airport, I believe. Doesn't it? <laughs> it's close. Jeremy, don't make light of this close to the Ronald Reagan airport. Is that what it is? Clearly you're <laughs> ignorant co-host. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Happy New Year! Yeah, uh, crap. Here comes the interview. <laughs> Paratopia. It is the final event of the year, or at least in terms of our show. Well, it's the final show of the year. Jeff, I could have done that better. Take it from me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jeremy. Hi. We're, we're doing a, uh, a an informal sort of end-of-the-year rap chat about the various topics that we've covered, and who better right. to do that with than someone we haven't had on the show, but who knows a lot about a lot of things. That's right. Micah Hanks. Micah, welcome to the program. Always my pleasure, guys. In fact, well, this this time it's my pleasure because it's my first time, and any time I guess that you guys uh, decide to have me back on in the future as well. And like I said, this isn't my normal uh, microphone setup and everything, so hopefully it doesn't sound too weird on your end. I'm just glad to be here, and of course we'll dive into all kinds of strangeness tonight, I'm sure. Yes. Um, well, let's start off with <sighs> let's start off with somebody anonymous. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> If he wants to be named, but a mutual friend of ours uh, gave me a ring and started saying, you know, the one thing in alien abduction lore that people aren't talking about is sex, uh, because it's uncomfortable, and so on and so forth. Um, And he started to talk about um, sex in terms of how many abductees were molested or raped, and I thought he was going to make the case that, you know, it's all sort of a cover story for... Um, tragic human events, but really what he was making the case for was that there is some sort of trickster element uh, that is using sex, which is anti-structural, which is taboo and all of that, uh, using it as sort of a lure to uh, get people uh, or get people's brains thinking differently to make room for tricksterish ways. I guess I'll ask you, is that a a fair summary of... uh, that position, and, and do you think there's anything to it? You know, it's a very complex subject, but I'll put it to you like this. Uh, of course, I know this fellow, and, 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 and like yourself, I don't know if he would prefer to be named or not. So we will uh, err on the side of caution for the time being and not name this individual. Um, I, on the other hand, don't have a problem telling you that uh, this uh, has been something ongoing for me. I've been uh, contacted by a number of individuals who uh, say that they have uh, you know, had interaction with uh, maybe not 
always aliens. Uh, in, in, in a few instances, it may have to do with, uh, you know, uh, ghosts or, or other uh, non-human entities and things like that. Uh, in certain circumstances, it has been alien abduction uh, that has been the topic in question. And uh, I've found that there's a surprising consistency uh, between uh, – reports of of this sort of uh, you know you know strangeness for tn reports and things like that and elements that involve sexuality uh, you could you could for instance uh, well actually there was a, a book several books that have been written about this but one that comes to mind was paul dean's sex and the supernatural uh in which he kind of points uh points to a lot of these uh, you know, alien abductions and uh, and, and uh, metaphysical, spiritual, haunting uh, circumstances and, and encounters, and kind of draws parallels between what people describe in their personal encounters and the the either the underlying or sometimes the very overt uh, sexual aspects. You know, in the 1950s and 60s with contactees, uh, prior to what we know in the modern era as the more popular alien abduction, uh, you know, a lot of the contactees were saying that they were literally having sexual relations with people from different planets like Venus, you know, and Mars and Jupiter. Now, granted, now we know at least in terms of uh, uh, the exterior uh, imagery we have of those worlds, those nearby planets, that uh, there doesn't appear to be, uh, you know, life inhabiting those planets. Uh, I, uh, as far as I know, <laughs> don't uh, don't uh, endorse any bizarre theories as far as there being, uh, you know, underworld um, races and things like that. You know, that might exist on those kinds of planets. You know, that said, that that that's kind of the realm of science fiction, and that's what people have attributed to. Uh, I think the contact team movement as well is that uh, a lot of individuals probably were kind of fulfilling and, and maybe even living their fantasies, you know, uh, through their, their claims of, uh, well, what seemed pretty fantastic on their own, reports of contact with extraterrestrials that often looked human and that often uh, were of the opposite sex, were very beautiful and wanted to uh, breed with them. So, <laughs> But as time went on, that changed a little bit. We, of course, were introduced uh, to the 1961 encounter with Betty and Barney Hill uh, and, of of course, the um, more familiar medical experiments that took place in those circumstances, um, which did focus uh, not only on you know trying to pull uh, Betty's teeth out after apparently uh, Barney's uh, dentures were <laughs> removed during his examination, according to the to their uh, uh, recounting of the events through hypnosis, but also uh, you know a series of examinations that did also focus you know on their sexual organs, and uh, you know of course Betty Hill famously claimed that a long needle was inserted into her navel. This would become kind of a staple of later alien abduction reports. And that sort of thing has continued. Go ahead. Let me uh, just stop you there. As far as hypnosis goes, uh, are you still on board with hypnotically retrieved memory? Oh, that's an iffy one, to be honest with you, Jeremy, um, because... You know, I uh, gosh, you know, I've got books. I've got one of one of uh, Walter Gibson's really early books on hypnosis. I've been studying that a good bit lately. Um, th- th- there's a real divided opinion on that. Some people believe that uh, you know, I think it is clear that memories can be can become repressed. Um, especially in the event that an individual goes through a traumatic circumstance, whether it be a car accident. Maybe later on I can actually get to a, a interview I actually did today with, with an individual who actually had an uh, experience where they were uh, in, a, in a vehicular accident. Uh, the girl was 15 years old. Uh, she was airlifted out of this circumstance and actually thought as, as she was being removed from the circumstance, she was so traumatized, she literally seemed to have been kind of thrust into an altered state of consciousness and had begun to perceive that as she was being airlifted away, she was being levitated, carried away by individuals, and that she was actually uh, you know, being molested by aliens. It's a very bizarre circumstance. When it comes to hypnosis, um, 
I think that in circumstances like that, sometimes repressed memories due to trauma can be recovered. Uh, but there are also many instances, especially with re- uh, regard to uh, al- allegations of uh, you know ritual abuse in satanic cults and things like that, uh, where it has been found that some of these so-called memories were actually completely fabricated, and some of the individuals who had had these fabrications, uh, you know, and allegations of, you know, sexual assault and things like that were later found to have, you know, for instance, I think uh, one of them was Beth Rutherford, uh, was it Rutherford, I think, in the 1980s? She, uh, she had, you know, essentially been kind of convinced by a counselor, if I remember the circumstances correctly, that uh, that she had been uh, sexually molested and violently so by her father, who was a minister, uh, that her mother had assisted in this and that she'd actually had to perform abortions on herself before the age of 14. Uh, a clinical examination later found that she was not only still a virgin at age 22, but could not have ever possibly been pregnant. And so she ended up suing the uh, the counselors that kind of led to this this uh, false installation of memory. So it's a divided situation with hypnosis. Some people do claim that they have successfully been able to, if not recall repressed memories altogether, take on a better understanding of things that maybe weren't clear. And some people say that it's completely bunk and that some, uh, you know, that, that you really can't trust hypnosis at all. But when we say some people, <laughs> right? Some that, people. That, that gives the impression that, that there are uh, two equal sides of, of equal, uh, let's say, education in the field of hypnosis and psychology. And I think that is a misleading impression because, Mm -hmm. uh, well, for one, since the mid-90s, it hasn't been used in any court of law in any Western country. Mm -hmm. Um, It's pretty much been taken down. um, You know, we had on Scott Lillian, Dr. Scott Lillianfeld, who basically just tore it apart for us on this show. And uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Including memories that uh, are repressed. Yeah, I mean, I, I just you know when it when it comes down to you don't know what is memory, what is confabulation, what is bits of dream, what is bits of emotion that you've had from watching a TV show that's getting mixed in there, and mm-hmm. and it all comes out as quote unquote memory. Um, to me, it's like this is a done deal. Why are we even why are we even dealing with hypnosis anymore in this field? Right, and and, and that's the thing, you know. <laughs> Most of well, let's look at it in terms of ufology, which is kind of where where my mind has been lately. Um, Jerome Clark, you know, he was even the editor of Fate Magazine, I think, in the nineteen seventies and uh, maybe just the nineteen seventies. He may not have actually carried on into the nineteen eighties, but uh, uh, let's actually got it right here: nineteen seventy six to nineteen eighty nine, editor of Fate Magazine. Uh, few would argue that Jerome Clark was literally one of the the absolute leading experts in the field when it comes to ufology and the study of UFOs. Uh, he became more and more skeptical as time went on, and I, I can't find the particular quote, but I'd read an article the other day where he was quoted with direct relevance to hypnosis, and he said that literally, and here's the and here I think what needs to be stressed is we don't maybe know for certain whether in every instance memories that are that are recalled under hypnosis aren't at least to some degree accurate. However, in many instances we know that they are not, and therefore can you use hypnosis as a uh, as a reliable source for gaining information pertaining to a person's claims of being abducted by an alien or anything else for that matter. I don't think so. I personally would not trust uh, the use of hypnosis in those kinds of circumstances. And unfortunately, when you look back through a lot of the available literature, you know, Intruders by Bud Hopkins, Communion by Whitley Strieber, these books, you know, they all deal primarily 
with that, and that was the 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 uh, one of the the, the main uh, you know methods used uh, in in terms of collecting the data that, that those books and the theories well, that stem okay. from them consisted yeah. from. Yeah. So so let me ask you this then: What do you do with this? The fact that we've had the contactees who as you said, are, you know, they're basically playing out their fantasies and or making a buck, right? That's, they're delusional and or <laughs> businessmen and women. And uh, then you come to the abductees and you've got all this hypnotically retrieved testimony that we pretty much, as scientifically minded people, I guess, have to dump. So what are you left with? Uh, you know, why? Uh, how are we even talking about in alien abduction field at that point? What, what well, do we have left? You know, you want me to be honest, guys. Uh, in my opinion, not much. And uh, you know, I'll be called a pariah. But but you know, what's cool is that you know, you guys, I can see that you've already kind of begun to consider that. Many people have. Uh, my my friend, uh, I think I can mention his name, uh, Wes Owsley. He he uh, he and I talk about this quite a bit. And his uh, associate, Stacy. Uh, um, oh gosh, <laughs> Stacy um, Lowry. Lowry, yeah, and I always mispronounce his name, so I want to make sure I say it right because I was on his show the other night and I mispronounced it. But Stacy Lowry and I, you know, we've I've been having a lot of in-depth conversations with folks in the community uh, recently about this sort of thing. Um, when we when we get to the point where we're trying to be scientific, truly scientific about this, uh, you know, when there's gray area, you can't, um, you know, it's not the kind of thing that you can kind of just. Say, well, we know this, 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 and this, but even though half of it may not be true, we're going to go with what sounds good. When it comes to science, if you cannot prove it, you have to kind of rule it out, at least, you know, uh, until you have a better methodology that can be applied to a circumstance so that you can verify, like Jacques Vallée used to say, uh, what you're trying to prove uh, in in a court of law. Uh, When it comes to... uh, abductions uh you know of the uh of the extraterrestrial or any other kind because of course there are a lot of people nowadays who are even uh this isn't a new concept by any means but i see it becoming more popular or maybe seeing a resurgence this this notion that maybe ufos and or aliens are not extraterrestrial you know mac tawny's the late mac tawny's uh brilliant mind there uh his book the crypto terrestrials dealt with that subject and i think that that could be directly uh, credited with this kind of resurgence in the thought well maybe they aren't aliens what if we were to consider them something else now the way i feel about it considering that you cannot scientifically provide what you might gosh i don't i think i think some people argue that there is some evidence physical or otherwise of of alien abductions i haven't seen anything that to my liking would withstand rigorous scientific um probing and boy that's poor choice of words when we're talking about alien abduction but but to be true or, or to be honest about it and i think that that's the problem that people aren't really being honest about it if we can't take those aspects of the phenomenon okay that don't add up scientifically um what are we left with i think that we're left with a bunch of different kind of um, maybe seemingly related phenomenon, but that aren't per se actually uh, interconnected with one another. And we have to kind of break them apart and start looking at what we do know and what we can verify. More specifically, when we look at UFOs, I wonder with the lack of credible, hard, scientifically provable evidence of alien abductions, how can we continue really to interconnect alien abductions proposed alien abductions, and 
what we call UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Are they one and the same? They seem to be. Many people who claim to have been abducted claim that they were taken aboard craft that resembled these strange unidentified flying objects seen in the skies over the, the last several decades. But scientifically, again, we can't prove a connection. So it's not to say that the two are not connected, but I think that what would be wise is to try and break down the separate elements and try and trace them individually. For instance, with UFOs, we know that uh, you know military organizations and, and, and governing bodies, not just in the United States but around the world, have you know, spent decades collecting information. And a lot of this has actually been released through Freedom of Information Act requests. And, and also sometimes these governing bodies eventually just decide to make these public domain. We know that in official capacities throughout the years, there has been a, uh, interest in a valid real phenomenon taking place, unidentified objects seen in the skies flying. These things can outmaneuver uh, virtually anything that uh, that conventional aircraft of today, probably of tomorrow and the next several years, will be capable of. Um, that is something that is verifiable. We can't do the same with alien abduction, but maybe by looking at each one individually, we can learn more about the, the two. And when we bring those separate elements back together, how will we interpret that phenomenon uh, later on down the road? That's what we probably need to do. And so I hate to say throw the baby out with the bathwater, but if we if we want to look at anything, we have to look at what we can prove first, and we have to take it from there. Well, what do, what do you do with the um, the trickster hypothesis? Are you a proponent of that? Do you think that uh, even, for example, cryptozoological elements, uh, ghosts, and, and all of the sort of paranormal stuff, do you think it's all related in some way? You know, I've always kind of tried to look at interconnections between uh, phenomena. And, and, and to be honest, my book, Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule, kind of takes um, the approach of, of looking at, you know, a variety of phenomena like that, from UFOs to cryptozoology to, you know, the supernatural uh, in terms of spirits, ghosts, hauntings, things like that. It tries to look at those sorts of uh, subjects in a, in a, in a way that, uh, that, that pertains directly to altered states of consciousness and, uh, and people's alleged contact with non-human intelligence through altered states of consciousness. Now, uh, that said, of course, uh, Chris O'Brien, a friend of mine, wrote a book, uh, Stalking the Trickster, that kind of takes a similar approach, but, you know, kind of weaving strange phenomenon together under this understanding that there is this trickster element. And although I find it interesting, um, over time, and even since publishing my book, I've, I've begun to try and kind of, you know, again, take various phenomenon that seem to be connected First of all, some people might advocate the notion that there could be a, uh, especially if we if we endorse an extraterrestrial hypothesis, there could be some sort of connection between reports of hairy hominids like Sasquatch and UFOs. Um, the cryptozoologist camp, okay, particularly the nuts and bolts. If this thing isn't a physical specimen, let's not uh, you know let's not toy with ideas uh, to the contrary until we've proven that it is not a, spe- a physical specimen. I think those people would kind of reject trying to tie those elements together. Some of the hardcore ufologists would also say, well, that's a different area altogether. This has little or nothing to do with UFOs. Um, Even though most of the researchers in the separate fields would reject combining the two, there are folks who have done it. I think uh, I think maybe John Keel touched on it a few times, and, and several others have, and and some people have have very credibly done so. Stan Gordon also has talked about you know sightings of hairy hominids and Bigfoot type creatures that could you know that were that had, uh, had appeared in conjunction with reports with UFOs. But taking it a step further, okay, for me, first of all, yeah, I am I 
do tend now more so to try and break those separate phenomena apart because I see that when you start tying things together like that, there does tend to be um, a sort of a propensity of sorts for seeing patterns and associations or beginning to see what appear to be parallels when they may not actually exist. And furthermore, taking even something that is considered based on our, our – um, well, in, in many instances, pretty subjective knowledge base pertaining to things like UFOs. Uh, and this comes back to what I was saying earlier. I'm even getting to a point where I'm trying to take the what we perceive as interconnected elements within a given you know, genre, let's say UFOs, break those apart. Which is why I was saying earlier, you know, take UFOs, look at those separately from abduction. Because as long as we keep tying the two together, we're going to continue to be thinking and accepting these theories like, well, you know, they're abducting us and they're, you know, harvesting, uh, you know, eggs and semen and things like that. And they're trying to make a hybrid race. We don't know if that's what's going on. Many abductees claim that, but these claims often come forward, you know, under the, uh, the influence of hypnosis, which is something that scientifically we have found, uh, unfortunately, cannot be uh, taken for its uh, for its credibility in all if any circumstances so take those elements break them apart look at each individual one we look at the objects in the sky we look at people's reports of you know alleged abduction by these things maybe we would you know begin to you know alter our theories and think maybe these aren't aliens maybe they're something else maybe this entire experience is wholly non-physical and surprisingly a lot of abductee reports have even uh, talked about this non-physical almost metaphysical spiritual aspect pertaining to uh alien abduction so yeah i think that it, it can be you can almost be dangerous in a sense to try and look for patterns and associations between subjects when there may not be those uh, those parallels, but the trickster approach is a little different, I guess, because it kind of tries to tries to I don't know. I guess it could be unfairly called a, a catch all, but the trickster uh, hypothesis, as I understand it, seeks to try and explain these strange, I mean, truly bizarre, so bizarre that they don't fit into you know what we would call science and what we would even call uh, you know folklore, and certainly not humanity. And it tries to explain these things as something that is purposefully here, almost as though to mislead humanity. Um, you, you might look at that as a different I thing. I don't know. I mean, if you look at the, the the more I dig into George Hansen's version, it seems it seems like what you're saying is true. That That's a version of the trickster, but it seems that mm-hmm. there's also the George Hansen version, which is uh, that the trickster is describing uh, the interaction between us and the inkblot in this inkblot test, whatever that is. Hmm. Um. And so, for instance, George would say, you don't ask why. Why is not a good question to ask. Why does this stuff happen? It's just, this is how it happens. And it's anti-structural, so on and so forth. Um, But not even just sociologically, not even just this is what humans do, but it's like, this is what humans do when confronted by and confronting this unknown, seemingly other intelligence. Um, Hmm. And... and that intelligence seems to – it doesn't seem to matter whether the intelligence is ghosts or Bigfoot or alleged aliens or, or what have you. Um, so I, I find that interesting. Well, following that logic, though, uh, when we refer to intelligence – and unfortunately, uh, George Hansen, I'm not as familiar with his uh, with his approach to this. You might even want to uh, you know, touch on that briefly, but um – the, when, when you say intelligence, is that prescribing the idea that all these phenomena, let's say that you do choose to look at them as interrelated, that it is a singular intelligence or that each is still an individual 
something, and all of these have this trickster uh, interaction with humanity. Is it? Is it? Is it? Well, that? I don't even think it's that defined. I think. Oh, okay. It's still, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's an abs- it's an abstract. I mean, the, the way he described it to us was it's it's simply an abstract undercurrent of the way reality works. Hmm. And so when you're talking about, I mean, the, the best instance to me is the um, the young couple buys their first home and uh, proceeds to renovate, knock out walls, tear down wallpaper, paint, flooring, whatever. They start seeing ghosts in the house. And, of course, any paranormal investigator out there who investigates the case is going to flatly tell them, well, you're disturbing the environment. You're stirring up things. And uh, – uh, I, I think most people tend to look at that and go, well, the spirits don't like you altering their environment. But in fact, what George says it is, is that the house is in a state of uh, uh, of change, uh, of chaos, of upheaval, um, that sort of thing. So it's in an anti-structural uh, framework at that point. And so therefore, paranormal things seem to manifest, whether they be ghosts, whether they be a UFO sighting, whether it be a alien abduction, whatever. Um, all that stuff seems to to come to the fore a little bit. You, it starts out, um, uh, you know, one of the things I've talked about a lot on here is um, the notion of how much attention gets paid to the phenomena in anyone's life seems to garner that person some sort of experience down the line somewhere. Um, and it's all based on a give and take type of thing. The more you give, the more you get. And uh, and George completely agreed with that. He's like, yeah, absolutely. That's you know, when you when you enter into studying this phenomena, you become anti-structural and you go out of your routine. And so that's that's more along the lines of I think where he's talking. It's more or less an undercurrent of uh, of the way reality seems to work, at least with this phenomenon. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. You know, and, and, and when it comes to being anti-structural, I want to touch on something uh, pertaining to that. Maybe not in the same sense that George had implied, but but first, I also have to say that when you're talking about tearing things up and breaking things apart, or renovating a home and ghosts appearing and things like that, if you were to follow that logic, it's interesting to note that uh, construction sites and things like that often, uh, you know, have been have been associated with sightings of Bigfoot and Sasquatch creatures like that. Maybe that's because sure. you know, you, yeah, maybe it's because you're tearing down trees and you're actually creating an open space where they're going to be more prone to be spotted anyway. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't know that you can exactly apply apply logic to that circumstance. But it reminded me of those kind of reports. Now, now that said, uh, coming back to the anti-structural idea, um, I may not be applying this in the same way that George had, but based on what you're saying there, it did remind me of the notion again of breaking down um, a a you know seemingly uh, you know a, a series of seemingly interrelated phenomena. And again, we'll use you know UFOs, alien abduction, things like that. Uh, maybe underground bases. You could t- you know tie a bunch of things together in there that that kind of you know have culminated over the years to create the sum total of what we call um, ufology. Uh, when you break those things apart, you know, and you start looking at the individual elements again, I think that this scientifically allows you uh, the ability to to analyze a piece before you have to try and have all these pieces together and analyze the, the whole what do we do when we're trying to just you know to study a new species we you know we dissect it we take it apart we want to understand how individual pieces work unfortunately over the years when it comes to structure and any structure even if there is no actual structure there uh, with ufology and with a number of different genres you know relating to the paranormal the supernatural 4 and whatever you wish to call it I think that 
people innately have a desire to have, you know, a beginning, middle, and end. You know, they want to have a, a climax and a resolution. And therefore, uh, storylines kind of end up kind of being woven into the study of things like UFOs and, and cryptozoological monsters and things like that. And people, you know, lo and behold, end up kind of basing their their entire notion of the nature and the reality of this phenomenon um, on this this sort of loose construct of a story that begins to emerge. That story, you know, in any instance like that, is going to emerge when you try and tie together those elements. So again, I think that anti-structure applied to that circumstance, we could benefit from it because if we are not trying to always find, you know, a structure, a story, you know, some semblance of meaning behind all this, knowing that the nature of the universe does tend to be fairly chaotic and sometimes things just happen without rhyme or reason, I think we could actually benefit. We would we would probably find that we were mes- misled less often and um, and that we would, we would uh, you know, be less likely to be, uh, you know, led away from an actual reality by the mere hope of trying to assign reason and trying to assign some sort of pattern of events to everything that we study. Sometimes you just have to break things apart and take individual weirdness for what it is, which is probably just that, you know, random happenings and strange occurrences. Well, don't you think that, uh, and I brought this up to George on a couple of accounts when we were talking to him uh, about the whole anti-structure, about human behavior. I mean, how much of this falls into the construct of human behavior plus the trickster element that, that may be at work when, in all of this. I mean, when you've got essentially like Jeremy and I were talking about last night, that ufology has become for a lot of people, a capitalist, you know, an investment. I mean, their time is, is spent researching, writing books, selling books, doing lectures, uh, going all over the country and sometimes all over the world. And so when you find something, uh, amiss in your own work, you cover it up because uh, you don't want to talk about that because that then puts you off the lecture circuit. Um, you know, isn't that where a lot of that seems to come from, where we hear these these embellishments of accounts and, and accounts that continue to unfold and unfold and unfold, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, just to a really to a really crazy rate. But at the same time, one of the most valuable things I think anyone in this field has ever told me came out of George Hansen's mouth, and that was – that the, the paranormal has a battle cry, and it is make them look like a nut, and so, <laughs> and so there you are. I mean, uh, to speak of any of this with a hundred percent honesty, um, you know, is to, is to be looked down upon because that's just crazy talk. Uh, yeah, Jeff, you you hit the nail on the head right there. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> no one wants to have to admit that they're wrong. When in reality, when you're studying, uh, you know, the the unexplained, we call it unexplained for a reason. You know, nobody's right to begin with, right? <laughs> exactly. And that's that's the thing is that you know I, I've been you know I'm working on a new book. I don't know where this book's going to go. I have a sense it's going to make some people angry because I'm trying to look at, and this is why I probably I keep using ufology as a as an example when we're talking about this kind of anti-structural thing here because um, the book is going to deal with ufos from this sort of uh, a a you know point of of break it apart don't worry if what we talk about the separate elements tend to contradict one another because the the idea here is not 
to ignore one piece of evidence that might show up that is inconvenient when compared along with another if we look at each individual element and can still feel with at least some degree of certainty that uh, those individual elements have been thought you know thought apart and then thought back together with as much reason and rationale that can be applied to them uh, if if there appear to be contradictions well good because there are going to be contradictions um, and and it really comes down to one thing, and Jeff, this really is kind of capitalizing on what you just said. Everyone can't be right. Look, we know there there are theories that uh, that that you know occupants of UFO craft. If first of all, these craft are actually occupied by what we know as physical beings. For all we know, they could be autonomous drones from from another planet that are actually uh, you know completely mechanical. We don't know. Um, but to speculate further, okay, and, and take this logic and try and apply all this stuff to it, and we really don't know anything about what's going on. We have so many different theories that have resulted. We've got interdimensional hypotheses about, you know, creatures uh, that are literally able to, you know, kind of shift through rents in space-time. We've got, you know, Mactani's crypto-terrestrial hypothesis, which although he kind of made it clear in the book that it was more of a thought game of sorts, you know, uh, maybe that he didn't fully endorse the theory himself, but for the sake of argument and for the sake of, 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 of you know, looking at this logically and then covering all angles and affording it honest, true conversation that he had to put it out on the table and lay it all out there. I think that, you know, we have, we have that crypto-terrestrial, this essentially just a terrestrial uh, aspect. We have this interdimensional aspect. There's the very popular extraterrestrial hypothesis, they can't all be the same thing. Aliens couldn't be from somewhere out in outer space and from Earth and interdimensional. Maybe they could, but that would probably so far exceed what we understand about the nature of, 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 of physics and, and reality that, that, that you know there'd be no point in talking about it. But the, the point is, is that if everyone can't be right, then eventually we're going to have to accept the inevitable, which is that someone is wrong. Nobody wants to be that person who's wrong, and therefore, when these inconsistencies and these uh, these contradictions start coming together, uh, people more often tend to ignore them or try and cover them up because it doesn't conform to their al- the path that their logic has already begun to take them on. So, you know, again, this the notion of anti... anti oh God, could, you, could you word it like this? Anti-structuralization? <laughs> that might just be too much. But you know, a, We make up words a lot on this show. Go great. We, we'll make up another one. <laughs> Anti-structuralization of the Fortean, you know, and specifically ufology. I know in, in my next book, uh, it, that's what I'm going to be dealing with. And, uh, and, and, and that's what needs to happen, frankly, if we want to move forward. Because, yeah, there are going to be contradictions. People are going to be wrong. Don't be... Don't don't be so you know blinded by pride and the and the facade of power and the hope that you're going to be the one who figured it all out because we really don't know what's going on. <laughs> we have uh, no clue. Yeah, well, of course, I, and I think that I mean that's a, that's a valuable point. Uh, but but the problem is, I mean, is that we're seeing. Well, I mean, what's worried me at least the past ten years more than anything about this field is that uh, I would say. 22 or 23 years ago, you didn't have nearly the amount of fringe element being injected into this like we do today. Mm-hmm. Um, you certainly had your points to stay away from. You certainly had your topics not to broach uh, in the company of uh, Bruce McAbee or or Richard Hall or anything. You know, these are these are people who know the ropes, and there are certain things you just don't bring up because it's ridiculous. Uh, but nowadays. Uh, it seems to be, to, well, at least it seems to me that these things are in the driver's seat of this quote-unquote field, however loosely defined that is. 
Um, and and when you talk about uh, being wrong and admitting uh, wrong information or inaccurate studies, uh, you're running into a whole new thing here, which is that ufology has become this belief system that it's effectually acting like a religion. Um, because, yes, we've got photographs and we've got uh, eyewitness accounts and we've got all of that. But by and large, it, it exists as an article of faith for most people. Um, and that, to me, is where it gets the most dangerous is because oh, yeah. you know, any time that you try to argue – and I know because I did this for a year and a half with a group uh, – you try to argue sense to these people and you present them with – data that is absolutely concrete, irrefutable, and demonstrable, and they will sit there and ignore it for the sake of a belief system. So the question is, how do you get over that? It's not so much, how do we admit we're wrong? How do we get over that everyone's built a belief system around garbage? You know, it's almost like that that tendency toward building a whole, you know, God, sometimes a religion around uh, a, a, a rather fringe subject uh, it, it's almost like that's something that's just kind of built into the chemistry of, of, of the human uh you know the human character and and, and that's evidenced i think uh, you know speaking of jacques valet and, and and you know some of these more scientific researchers uh in the uh in the uh you know kind of the ufo cults and things like that that have come together over the years you take something that's already fringe and then you build a religion around it you know where people believe that you know a flying saucer is going to you know uh you know bring all the world leaders you know to to zeta to reticuli you know in the end days and things like that and it does become pretty uh pretty terrifying jacques valet uh you know during his years uh researching everything from you know mathematical computation of the energy of craft to whether or not they were truly extraterrestrial, he often warned about that and about allowing you know blind faith and belief uh, to lead to dangerous aspects of the fringe elements associated with this uh, you know realm of research. I think he was always very wary of the so-called UFO cults and things like that, which you know I don't know exactly where they had their genesis, but they I think probably began to emerge around the time of the contact team movement. You know, it was kind of an alternative. And, and, and speaking with a friend of mine, a, a fellow researcher named Christopher McCollum today, we were talking about how in in the world today, you know, not to say that religion doesn't exist, but for many, uh, we, we are kind of emerging now, humanity as a post-theistic society in which people, especially younger generations, seem to have less and less desire or uh, feeling of necessity for religion and for God and spirituality. Uh, now, of course, statistically, that is still sh- shown to change as people get older, and that as they get older, people tend to uh, kind of gravitate back towards religion. I've seen a lot of researchers who, when I met them, you know, 10 years ago, they called themselves atheists. They slowly became agnostic, and now they are, are strong proponents of whether you want to call it a Christian God or, or, or you know, a, a Buddha or something like that. You know, they're proponents of there being a divine creator of some sort, some non-human intelligence. It's funny how, yes, as you get older, uh, spirituality seems to become more important, but nonetheless, uh, in general terms, many would argue that we're emerging more as a post-theistic society where technology has kind of replaced a lot of the almost tribal belief systems and, and the true uh, religious because this is the only way we can hope to relate to the mysteries of the cosmos that was what our ancestors held close to them. You know, that the, was the very essence of their being. Uh, you know, science has kind of replaced that for modern man. And, and if we were to consider ourselves as an emerging post-theistic uh, culture, but nonetheless a culture with a propensity for kind of attaching ourselves to weird, fringy 
unprovable things, the likes of whether you want to call it an angel or a demon or an alien, you know, is, is it that these fringe elements that are present today in the, the research of, you know, of, of ufologists and cryptozoologists, are these those new angels and demons that our ancestors once spoke of? You know, is, is this how that strange fringe element that seems always and ever-present within human culture, and, and as you'd said, Jeff, human nature, uh, is, is that the modern interpretation of those things that were once angels, devils, and, and gods and the like? Well, I thought that until I read Jacques Vallée's latest book, um, that kind of destroyed that thought for me. Yeah. That, that you know that that the manifestations of old were the fairies and and all of that, and, and that the, people didn't see cigar shapes and discs and all these kind of craft that people see today. If we can even call them craft, if that's even what they are, sure. Um, you know, geometric sim- symbology in the sky, uh, you know, has been seen like that for a very long time. Um, I mean, far far past uh, you know, our, our capability of flight, of course. But what you were talking about, as far as being a, a you know re- religion kind of falling by the wayside, I mean, what I, what I see in that, which I think definitely applies to the whole conversation about uh, you know belief systems and how belief systems get changed and altered over time. I mean, you know, I think definitely we've seen the UFO, the religion of UFOs change over the years. It went from the Adamski type stuff into the Meyer stuff. And now we're into exopolitical stuff, which I don't care what you want to call it. That's it. That to me is the closest thing that we have to a mass delusion of today. Um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, you know, even somebody like Joel Osteen, who's like a really popular televangelist, he is packing them in all across his country. He is selling out places like in minutes flat. And he preaches a very um, interesting breed of Christianity, which is more along the lines of uh, the power of positive thought, even akin to something like The Secret, which came out some years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if you listen to a lot of his stuff, and, and my mom is a big fan of his, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I every once in a while she'll flip me an email, and I mean it's like reading the secret newsletter. Um, do you, do you think that uh, that 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 change in thought is reflective of uh, I don't know uh, uh, of a, a deepening in consciousness that's going on? Are we are we kind of wrestling with the fact like, yeah, we still have to believe in Christianity, but we can still kind of put it into a different box. that's more attractive in trying to, trying to harness new people into the religion. I mean, to me, it seems like religion is exploding uh, in certain ways. Um, yeah. And maybe it is, you know, it, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I, when I, when I refer to uh, this post theistic uh, society, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily uh, even putting my own, uh, opinion and and perception out there. I, I've heard other people make reference to this. I, I like yourself, have noticed that uh, in many capacities uh, that uh, you know religion, uh, you know Christianity and, and otherwise, uh, you know, is very much alive and in some ways stronger today. Unfortunately, you know, when we talk about the political implications of all this, you know, um, I think that uh, the the discontent among various uh, you know groups and cultures around the world. 
you know, whether you want to look at it in terms of, you know, uh, Americans versus anti-American sentiment or vice versa, you know, uh, you know anti-any country sentiment. You know, there's a lot of geopolitical strife going on right now. And, you know, we've got, you know, a new nuclear treaty that we're looking at and everything or that we've actually, I suppose, was actually voted on the other day, uh, the New START Treaty with Russia. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to curb things that have, that have been problems all along, and yet there are always new little problems emerging because essentially in the grand scheme of things, people can't get along. And I think the manifestation of religion and spirituality is one of the ways that people tend to deal with that. And, you know, for people who, who see it that way, I think that they feel the need for spirituality and religion as much now as ever before. While there's also still, you know, and we, won't, we don't want to... Uh, you know, contradict, you know, what I put out earlier that, you know, there's also a faction of people who feel that more and more uh, humanity is becoming post-theistic, less in need of a God, so to speak, and that we find, uh, you know, the things that we need that give us spiritual fulfillment in uh, in, in electronic, you know, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. ways, you know, via the Internet and things like that. To a degree, I think that that is true, but no, I don't think that people are going to, you know, lose spirituality and, and forget about it altogether. And if anything, you just wait because a little further on down the road, you know, there will be uh, technological you know, uh, religions, you know, religions based around technology. I mean, I'm sure that in various capacities those already exist, really. I mean, we could we could go down that road, but, you know, it's probably another heady subject. That we're yeah. trying to, to really yeah, exactly. dive into, yeah. Well, let me ask you something. I mean, I have not looked into uh, cryptozoology very much over the years. I mean, here and there, ever so briefly. Um, and you obviously have studied it far more than I. Mm-hmm. Do you see this same kind of... And we ask this to people who've, who've come on the show that are in the ghost field. Uh, do you see the same kind of absolute heady devotion and almost with religious overtones in, in something like that as opposed to what you find in ufology? I mean, do you see that sort of thing that happens in that as well? Yeah, to a degree. I think it's different in the sense that – see, I started out as a as – a, a person who was most interested in cryptozoology. I, you know, my first article I think that I ever published was uh, as recently as 2004. Really, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm buddies with guys like Jim Mars and Brad Steiger. I, I realize I'm still a newbie. <laughs> you know, when you compare it to guys like that, um, you know, Brad, my gosh, has written about everything, and he's been doing it since you know the the 1960s. You know, contributing to magazines just like like you know Fate Magazine, like I did. But uh, my first article that I published, you know, years ago in, in Fate was about. The idea that maybe uh, there is a language that, uh, you know, Sasquatches specifically around the uh, Harrison Lake uh, area of British Columbia might uh, literally be able to speak and that that, you know, that dialect might actually resemble certain indigenous uh, languages uh, in that area, specifically some of the uh, Chehalis natives that live around the Harrison Lake area. Now, you know, that said, it's kind of a kind of a funny subject uh when you, when you bring up a uh, cryptozoology and, and and is there that same sort of you know that kind of base in there that that look at the uh, you know that that look and, and kind of attach themselves to certain elements uh, you know almost religiously yes but it's different because with cryptozoology although there and, and this is what's really crazy i've spoken to very credible researchers and i have friends uh, who who I trust and who I believe who have uh, you know told me some wild stories and every now and then I do get these reports of Bigfoot creatures just vanishing into thin air. 
In fact, actually, years ago, I was I was talking on the telephone with Brad Steiger about this, and he had even mentioned uh, when he was uh, younger, you know, and, and 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 engaging in field research and following footprints and things, and he he and a group of people, uh, you know, would would literally be in a, in, a, in a circumstance where they'd be following a set of footprints into a secluded kind of closed off canyon, knowing that there was no way for a creature physically to be able to get out of this circumstance, and nonetheless, they'd always come up empty hand, uh, empty handed, as though these creatures literally could just vanish. There are those kinds of reports. I don't know how you deal with those. Um, but in spite of that, because a creature like, for instance, a Bigfoot resembles, you know, maybe a gorilla, you know, a large human-like creature, but nonetheless something flesh and blood, um, I think that the real serious cryptozoological base out there, you know, uh, Lauren Coleman and the really, truly well-respected researchers who have dedicated so much time and study to this phenomenon, they're, they're going to tend to look at it much like a biologist would. Whereas with UFOs, there's so little, we can't touch it, we can't taste, we can't feel, we can't smell. I mean, very, various you know, <laughs> reports do describe physical contact with you know, not just UFOs, but the, you know, occupants alleged to actually uh, pilot and, and, and travel in those craft. But it's not the kind of thing that I think can be equated uh, you know, in terms of a biological specimen that might actually exist, and with you know proper planning and maybe uh, you know tranquilizing uh, you know tranquilizer guns or a really well set trap, we might be able to capture one, and then we've got an actual specimen. With UFOs, you know, I think that based on what we know about them, it's so something so far removed. I think uh, Jerome Clark actually even said uh, something to the to the notion of in his in his darker moments. Uh, actually, I've got the quote right here because I was looking at. Uh, some some of Clark's stuff earlier. In my darker moments, I've come to suspect that UFOs may represent something so far beyond us that our attempts to understand them may be comparable to an ant's efforts to comprehend the principles of nuclear physics. You know, it's something that's so far removed from us that I think that when it's really far out there, no hope of understanding it, at least in the present, it's almost something that uh, is more easily um, you know, uh, kind of attainable in, in terms of religious status. And so, yeah, sure, there are going to be people who will attach this kind of fervor to a cryptozoological stu- uh, subject, but generally people, I think, treat that, um, either they dismiss it outright or they almost do treat it uh, with more credible, uh, credibility because of the biological aspect uh, of there being a physical creature, whereas these aliens and these UFOs, I mean, it's something that's just, I think, even today, still too far beyond us. Yeah. I, well, I wanted to shift gears uh, before we get too late in the show. I wanted to ask sure. you about drugs. Uh, but dr- drunks? Oh, drugs. drugs. Oh, drugs. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, we we had uh, Dennis McKenna actually on the show. Um, well, all the way back at episode seven, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think between him, uh, his brother Terrence, uh, Doctor Rick Strassman, you know, mm-hmm. all of these people. I, I have read their books. I haven't read a, an abundance of UFO books over the past decade, but I have read those books. And um, and in my mind, these are some of the most important ufological books ever written. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I find it amazing that so many accounts are so similar uh, in description. And these are not um, vague or... Uh, uncolorful. They're certainly colorful and uh, and speak of beings that, for all intent and purposes, sound exactly like the kind of beings that um, that I've personally seen and that my wife has seen along with me. The the attitude, the demeanor, um, 
you know, the sardonic humor often at times. Um, what is your, what is your take on that? I mean, people would say these are hallucinations. These are products of the mind. And therefore we have to say that it's a good possibility that, you know, that the, the alien abduction thing or any contact with anything related to aliens, quote unquote, or UFOs, quote unquote, uh, could be strictly of the mind. But there seems to be evidence that, that we're actually altering a state like a radio signal and mm-hmm. uh, being able to perceive things that are perhaps all around us all the time, which yeah, is uncomfortable but, for a lot of people. Oh, sure it is. You know, I think it's it's, it's interesting, though, because what you have to understand, and, and I think a lot of people uh, would, would, would take what I'm about to say kind of out of context. I, I don't mean what I'm about to, to articulate here as some sort of an affront to people who claim that they have had some valid real experience uh, with aliens or with non-human intelligences, as I know that, uh, is at least at least as I understand that the two of you have, um, I I personally am really boring, and I've never uh, you know seen a ghost. I've never encountered an alien, um, and and frankly, I don't uh, you know I'm not a, a user of of psychoactive substances and things, the likes of which I talk about in my book. A lot of people don't understand why I'd be talking about you know psilocybin mushrooms and, and dimethyltryptamine and some of these powerful hallucinogens. Uh, if I weren't a user. But the thing is, is that there are plenty of people like Dennis and Terrence McKenna, you know, ethnobotanists and, and, and you know, people who, you know, scientifically and in terms of the ethnology and the uh, and, 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 and a lot of the, uh, the spiritual circumstances uh, present therein uh, have taken the time to actually become users and to understand the nature subjectively of this experience, of the hallucination. And they've come back and they've been able to tell us about that circumstance. And, you know, whether that is for good or for ill, that it has inspired others to do likewise, uh, you know, I'll leave that up to, to others. I personally uh, have not have not done that myself. And I think that, you know, when I was fishing my, my proposal for my book around to different publishers, a lot of people were like, you know, maybe you should think about, you know, experimenting a little bit more and then write this, you know, write some more, add to this and get back with us. In other words, why don't you go try some drugs and see what happens to you and then write about it in your book. With the body of of information out there, you know, uh, that, that has been offered to us by the likes of Rick Strassman and Terrence McKenna, you know, and these types, uh, I didn't think that being another subjective voice in that crowd would be helpful. I thought that, you know, as opposed to doing that, to try and look at this subject journalistically and, and try and make patterns and associations, again, within that specific field, which is why I kind of split my book into three sections, magic, mysticism and then you know entheogenic molecules and how these things all pertain to one specific phenomenon altered states of consciousness and contact with non-human intelligences um i wanted to try and look at it and 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 draw those elements together objectively from an outside perspective uh, that said doing so and studying that you know kind of tangent with U- ufo's and things like that i'm strongly beginning to lean in my personal views toward the notion that uh, a lot of mystical experiences out-of-body experiences, um, you know, contact with what appear to be extraterrestrials. I prefer the term alien because if they're not actually from space someplace, they're still nonetheless apparently non-human, thus alien presences. Uh, I believe that all these things in some way are the same um, the same event, the same manifestation, the same circumstance. Uh, going all the way back to Scott Rogo and Ann Ruffles' book, The Tajunga Canyon 
contacts. Uh, you know, they were they were talking about, uh, or maybe Tuyunga. Actually, that's that's a, one of those interesting words to to appear in the title of a book. Fascinating, fascinating book. The the anomalous books uh, republished a few years ago. In that book, you know, the authors looked at the nuts and bolts claims of abductees in you know kind of uh, you know correspondence with the more parapsychological aspects of many of these cases and they talked about abductees who actually claimed that they weren't physically taken but that their minds were abducted and that they could actually see themselves hovering outside their bodies this is something that's very common in you know the reports of uh, near death experiences and out of body travel uh, astral projection and these sorts of things so clearly i don't think that in every instance alien abduction as we know it is a wholly physical phenomenon. I would say that probably, uh, you know, if, if we could literally get people's reports of, of encounters of this sort outside the bounds of what occurs during hypnosis and whatnot, I, I would probably say that few people would say that at least some aspect of their experience uh, did not at least, uh, you know, have a, a metaphysical quality to it. And I think that that's because a lot of this is probably more interrelated uh, than we realize. So, um, again, you know, that's not to, to take away from people's sense that something has happened to them because that's not what I'm trying to say at all. I'm trying to say that I think that what we need is a redefinition of the nature of this phenomenon, not to try and cast it aside and say it didn't happen. Clearly something is happening. Clearly people are having real experiences. Um, that doesn't mean that every experience, that you know, every report that comes forward is true. We can't account for the veracity of all of them, but I, I'm convinced that many people and their claims are legitimate. But we probably have to consider different ways of understanding the nature of the phenomenon, the underlying phenomenon, because there's clearly more going on here than meets the eye. And it may not be nuts and bolts aircraft bringing, you know, nuts and bolts extraterrestrials down who literally levitate you out of your window and take you on board a spaceship. It may be that there is something that is more similar to the reports of the psychonauts and the people who have used substances like dimethyltryptamine and the people who have achieved these ecstatic states of mind through meditation and things like that, and even who have used magical rituals throughout history, and hence magic mysticism and the molecule looks at a lot of those things. Um, and again, I've said before, uh, you know, in fact, I've said during this uh, discussion we're having tonight, and I always like these. I'm glad you guys had me on, by the way, tonight, because, you know, sometimes there are interviews and sometimes you get to sit down and have a real discussion. And that's what we've done tonight. It's been a lot of fun. I, I always enjoy just really being able to just have a good talk with, with really intelligent people. And uh, it's harder and harder to find them these days, but you guys have been great. Um, and that said, uh, you know, I think that uh, there's there's a lot of this stuff that um, – it does seem to be interrelated, and although I'm talking about breaking things apart, it sounds a lot like looking at you know magic, mysticism, and the molecule, tying all that stuff together and relating it to uh, altered states of consciousness. Sounds contradictory to what I was talking about earlier. Um, again, there are going to be contradictions, and I've said that even since writing that book, I'm getting more and more of the mind that you have to take various phenomena and break them down, look at them individually. Um, but at least in some capacity, I hope I've explained, uh, you know, with some degree of efficiency that that's what I was trying to do with my book. In the future, I'm going to try and do that even more so. I don't think, think, I don't think it's uh, contradictory to uh, want to parse out the parts from the whole. Even if you even if you think that the whole is is interrelated, you still want the, to know what those specific interrelated parts do on their own. Exactly. Um, yeah. But let me ask you. Let's just take the alien because I think that's the most sort of obvious case here. You can see a gray alien uh, if you're an abductee. You can see a gray alien 
if you take enough mushrooms, you can see a gray alien, right? If you take uh, enough ayahuasca or DMT, you can see a gray alien if you know how to meditate correctly. So are, are we saying then that drugs um, – could we even just take out the drugs? <laughs> I mean, are are all of these things accessing the same, let's say, locations or the same beings or what have you? And so drugs are just sort of like the cheap, easy way out. But really, if you uh, know how to just sort of clear your mind in the right way that you can sort of tune into whatever is not of your mind clutter, which I, I think these other places. Yeah, I think a lot of people would tell you that that's exactly what's going on. You know, during Strassman's studies uh, at the University of New Mexico, or was it, I believe it was New Mexico in the 1990s, but that study was held uh, with, with, of course, where you got DEA approval for administering dimethyltryptamine to, uh, you know, these people who chose to participate in this study. Now, the thing about that study, um, there, there are actually a lot of things about that study that are worthy of discussion here, and I've had brief correspondences with Strassman about it in the past, some of which I included in my book, but... The thing that needs to be pointed out is that, uh, as I understand it, uh, most, if not every single one of the uh, participants had actually been previous users of psychedelic substances. And uh, and it's not just that these people were going out there for a free handout so that they could go get drugs. I mean, I think that Strassman probably wanted people with a little experience so that they would not be completely and utterly shocked by what is often described as kind of a full throttle, uh, kind of like a – I mean, it's literally just this this – you know, frontal assault. This you're, you're thrust into this really vivid, strange environment. You know, when people, uh, you know, clay, uh, you know, are under the influence of dimethyltryptamine (DMT). Um, I think that Strassman knew that uh, if if he had more experienced participants, that people would be able to, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. But it's interesting because there was one individual during that study whom uh, the DMT did not affect, and this individual had claimed that he had reached. Solely through meditation, ecstatic states where he literally altered his consciousness and entered uh, environments and and you know states of consciousness very similar to what the uh, the uh, participants who had vivid recollections of their encounters while under the influence of DMT had had. So that was only one instance, but there was a, a theory that Strassman proposed was, uh, and that that involved the notion that if a person could through meditation, uh, trigger an altered state of consciousness by what he called an endogenous release of DMT into the body. In other words, you, you, you meditate and you literally cause your body to release DMT internally. Because what people need to understand is dimethyltryptamine is produced in the human body. Um, sometimes, uh, although there, there's very little you know, uh, uh, very, very uh, scant uh, you know, evidence to verify this 100%, but uh, some studies have suggested that at the time of death, that DMT levels are higher in the bloodstream. And this, uh, you know, some have equated with DMT being released at the time of death. And hence, when people have these, quote-unquote, near-death experiences, what may actually be occurring is the pineal gland or something else, wherever the DMT in the human body emanates from, um, releases this, you know, what Strassman called a endogenous release of this substance. And then people end up actually having sort of a psychedelic uh, experience as they're dying. You know, Thomas Edison laying on his deathbed, you know, the strict, uh, you know, uh, realist, you know, and, and, and Mr. Logic during his lifetime, he's lying on his on his deathbed and 
starts kind of addressing uh, what appeared to be some things, you know, individuals or something he could see uh, as they were looking off into the distance and said something to the effect of, God, they're beautiful. Can you see them? And then passed away. Uh, you know, many people report these kinds of experiences. So I think that one thing that many, uh, uh, you know, proponents of the, uh, of the entheogenic uh, um, theories pertaining to this is that, uh, that, that these substances like DMT that are made in the body produced in the human body could be chemical uh, reasons behind ecstatic mystical states and that yes indeed you could maybe take drugs completely out of the picture and if you knew how to access altered states of consciousness um, manually we'll say uh, you you could literally do that without you you could potentially literally do that without having to consume some substance well have we figured out whether or not um, something is more repeatable uh, for instance if you have a transcendental meditation regiment will that produce repeatable results in where you go and what you see um as opposed to strassman's dmt work you know that, that's the thing strassman did a, D, a dmt study because he was able to get a dea approval um unfortunately since you know the majority of, of this research deals with substances that are illegal to to buy and to sell in the United States and elsewhere for that matter. Heck, you think our drug laws are bad? You know, it's even more draconian in other places. Um, I think that, that unfortunately, the repeatability, in other words, the scientific merit of these circumstances and the ability to study them scientifically uh, has fallen to the wayside because there's still a very taboo uh, association that most make with the consumption of these substances. Now, I'm not advocating that people go out and take dimethyltryptamine or they start eating, you know, ma magic mushrooms and things like that. You know, what I'm saying, though, is that if there's any, you know, scientific merit to further studying these, I know that they've been able to get, you know, uh, pharmaceutical uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, pill forms of psilocybin and things like that and administer studies. I think John Hopkins University two years ago may have engaged in a study where psilocybin you know, in pill form was administered to people who had uh, mystical experiences and described months after the fact, still feeling happier and still having lasting what they called positive effects after that experience. But generally speaking, uh, you know, those kinds of things are still considered very taboo. And therefore, those uh, instances are not going to be uh, afforded the scientific uh, understanding that we could by now perhaps have of them, or at least, you know, we aren't any closer to achieving that understanding because, you know, society label, labels these things as bad, and, you know, we, we have them, uh, you know, outlawed, and, and you can't buy them, you can't sell them. And, of course, you know, anyone in the scientific mainstream who tries to uh, involve themselves in studies associated with these is going to be called a crackpot, or they're going to be accused of, uh, you know, corrupting people and investing in corruption and things like that. It's kind of a twisted situation. So, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy, I don't know about in terms of the repeatability, if, if that's something that we uh, have even gotten close to understanding because of the taboos still associated with these substances. Let me ask you one more question, and then I'll hand it off to Jeff. Um, we had on um, a Lakota man named Teokas and Ghost Horse a few times, and some of the more controversial things, or I put that in quotes, he said, uh, were that language um, is not... Uh, well, it's not an evolution. Let's say it's not. It's not anything. It's it's kind of worthless. Written language is not impressive. Basically, language is not impressive. Uh, he also spoke circularly, which bothered a lot of people on our message board. And I had asked him, "What do the Lakota do in their free time? And you know, what do they sit around doing?" And he said, basically, they tell jokes. Mm -hmm. And now I'm reading um, a book on the. Uh, 
Bushmen of the Kalahari um, by Bradford Keeney. Uh, and he was, I mean, he lived among them as one of their medicine people for many, many years. They accepted him in and showed him their ways of what he calls, you know, original spirituality because they were sort of the, the root race of humanity. And before there was religion, there was, you know, the Kalahari people. Uh, doing their Kalahari thing. <laughs> and uh, they talk about, they speak circularly, right? They don't speak in linear terms. They talk about language and thought getting in the way of actual spirituality. And they, you know, try to be as absurd as possible because basically laughter and love are the key elements to having the ecstatic God experience. So I wonder, I put these things together and I put them together with George Hansen's trickster theory, which you know leans heavily on being anti-structural. Well, anti-structural to what? What's the structure? The structure is Western society. Mm. Uh, so to be anti-structural is to be absurdist, laughter, uh, you know, all all of these sort of indigenous things. Mm-hmm. Is to cut the crap of linear logic. <laughs> is to cut the crap of language, and to be irrational in a sense. So my question is, if if all of this is true, and then you see this, you know, shades of this in meditation and in Buddhism and in Hinduism, which is um, getting rid of thought, right? You're, you're quieting the mind, getting rid of thought so that uh, the greater case of us uh, can exist, can come into being. So what's the point of doing research and writing books and, and being scholars and any of this stuff? And, and why do we keep asking ourselves these same questions when it seems like the answer is just... Uh, shut up and learn to laugh. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think we could all learn a little something from that. Shut up, learn to laugh, and I like to always say, learn to find the beauty, the perfect nature in imperfection. You're never going to find a perfect mate. You're never going to find, you know, a perfect. I was actually, I've been, uh, you know, fortunate enough, blessed enough to be spending some time with one of my ex-girlfriends. For a lot of people, that wouldn't be a blessing uh, per se, but, you know, uh, she's been in town for the holidays and we've been, you know, catching up and and talking a little bit and everything and, 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 you know, going out having dinner or whatever. And, you know, for me, it's been wonderful. And that's been kind of a a, a theme that 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 has kind of emerged in a lot of our discussions over the last few days is you know learn to find the beauty in imperfection you know because you're never going to find perfect you know you're never going to find exactly what you're looking for and when it comes to these strange subjects and and, and fortean things UFOs Bigfoot God knows what all else out there uh, I think we probably are going to have to fundamentally accept that you know maybe it's just you know Jeff and Jeremy in our lifetimes or maybe ultimately we will never know. The true uh, nature, uh, you know, you know, the front and the back side of the hand, so to speak, pertaining to all this phenomenon that we're trying to study. Um, should we just forget about it and get out of the way? Accept that Eastern sort of no-mindedness. Don't overthink it. Well, not even that. How about just um, maybe it's our own prejudice of not wanting to believe that these people who come along, like Teokasin, who says. Yeah, we know all about this stuff. We know we call them space brothers or whatever. You know, like we don't want to believe that. We don't want to accept that. And what if it's just plain true? <laughs> you know, what if it just is th- that we are our worst enemy? We're getting in the way. Or as the Bushmen uh, said, because missionaries had had gone there, gone to Africa, and tried to make them Christians, and mm-hmm. th- they thought it was that was absurd. The, the Bushmen did because they said God isn't you know on a piece of paper. Your, right. your God seems to exist in paper. What What is that? Yeah. You live it, you know? So it's the difference between, like, thinking about it, discussing it, and living it. Or, to put it crudely, 
white people can't dance. I mean, you know, is is that it? Are we just out of rhythm? And and so why don't we just, you know, learn how to get rhythm again? Hey, get rhythm. <laughs> yeah, that's a great song, by the way, uh, Johnny Cash. You know, maybe you're right, though. Right? Maybe <laughs> just prove my point. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just being ADD. But no, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, maybe we get in the way of ourselves through intellectual thought uh, and and we prevent our alignment with that so-called cosmic rhythm. Um, that that seems to be, you know, uh, not not just a consistency among mystic traditions and things like that. I think that that's also um, just kind of true with life. I, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine. And he was he, he's a uh, he's a he's a political uh, he's a he's a, a talk radio host uh, here in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, I, I've always looked up to him as a very intelligent person. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go hard right or hard left. He really tries to apply logic to things. And I asked him, I said, how did you get to a point where you were able to discern things the way that you do? And he really quickly just said, you know, I just I learned to quit getting in my own way. And and maybe that's you know what what this is all about you know some some things you have to just allow them I don't think that there's even really an easy way to try and say this we could talk about it all night you could you could write you know like a, like a um oh, what was his name Ezra Pound you know the the famous poet you know his cantos this long philosophical poetry that has this rhythm in this in this kind of theme throughout you know you could spend your whole life working on something like that to quantify exactly what we're talking about right now but maybe what it just boils down to is uh, hey. Why so serious? You know, don't 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 let your seriousness and don't let your passion for what you're pursuing get in the way of the pursuit. Learn to enjoy the ride, so to speak. Well, how do you enjoy the ride when there's so many morons around? That's a whole that's a whole other subject. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what um, where this stuff has has led me is is what's been kind of interesting. I got overwhelmingly sick of the UFO subject, despite the fact that uh, I've been involved in it all this time and, and strictly for selfish reasons. But, uh, uh, that kind of piqued me into looking into the ghost phenomena and all of that. And, um, and I guess I'm a, I'm a double duty offender because I've seen flying saucers, both, alone and with other people and i've got fucking ghosts in my house and weird lights and <laughs> jeremy's seen that so you know it's it's not like uh, I, you know i i do connect much like you've talked about that you wrote in your book that you connect all these things together um you know i do as well and, and then when i came across terrence mckenna actually on jeremy's old message board uh from his singular days as a podcaster um that was when I was like, wow, you know, everybody is so quick to dismiss the psychological, if that's what this is. Uh, and if we're, if we're going to approach this in some sort of psychological manner or even attribute part of it, like you were talking about earlier, the non-physicality mm-hmm. of this stuff. I mean, you're talking about the Antichrist when it comes to at least UFOs or even ghosts for that matter. Um, and there's I think it's been, actually it's actually Nick Redfern that's talking about the Antichrist with regard to UFOs. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, but I mean, there and, and let's let's be upfront. There's been plenty. Uh, I can think of one UF predominant UFO sighting, uh, Elgin Air Force Base in Florida, that that had an object at the end of their runway. 
that was seen and photographed by a serviceman. That was, I mean, this was a hardcore sighting, solid object almost on the ground. And not a thing showed up in the pictures, but they all saw it. Uh, there's been plenty of ghost investigators that I've talked to over the course of the past year that have seen something. Yes, we had a camera set up there. We've got it. There's nothing on that camera. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, we're talking about the nature of human perception. And, and, you know, that takes us into the whole other subject is, you know, <laughs> it, it's amazing to me that, you know, when I, even today, when I meet people and I'm talking to them and they, this subject, the paranormal comes up and my wife just breathes a heavy sigh and goes, yeah, well, Jeff's uh, pretty into that. And, uh, oh, really? Well, you know, what, what part? And I say UFOs and they go, okay, so here's a question for you. Is it real? <laughs> and I, I invariably, one out of every 10 people I'll piss off because I'll say, um, well, that depends on what you mean by real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that takes us into a whole other area that, by and large, this field doesn't want. And this has been kind of our, at least on this show, has been kind of our whining point, is that a lot of the paranormal fields want to kind of stay with the tried and true. It's almost like we're all watching Ghost Hunters reruns. We've got the investigation, the, an- the analysis, and the reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get it. It's real. Now what? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so where do you think that you take a subject or subjects that are interconnected that seem to be subjective in some cases and completely shared experiences in others and also have a non-physical and a physical? Where do you go with that? Oh, well, that's the million-dollar question, you know, and it really is. <clears throat> and I mean, you know, I, mean, I mean, and I mean this in the sense of how do you even begin to approach this? I mean, well, you can't really study this phenomena. This phenomena is not studyable. You've got to study the people talking about the cases. This is a study it, of people. It, yes, it, very much so. And I mean, and I think that, you know, especially with regard to UFOs and things like that, um, uh, people, whether or not you endorse the theories proposed by someone like, say, uh, Carl Jung, you know, when he wrote Flying Saucers, a modern myth of things seen in the sky, it was pretty clear what Carl uh, Jung's thesis was and how he interpreted ufology. Um, and, and, and coming back to that earlier statement from Jerry Clark, you know, who had, who had said that, you know, UFOs may represent something so far beyond us that trying to understand them, uh, you know, is like, you know, an ant trying to understand nuclear physics. It's it is it actually does come down more so to a um, you know to understanding the nature of humanity. Part of that is the inquisitive nature of humanity and our whether or not it's something that we are capable of understanding, or if you want to think of things maybe in terms uh, of this this has a lot of implications, but something we were quote unquote meant to understand. Um, I think uh, you know. It's it's human nature that people are curious and that they're going to endlessly sometimes you know sometimes die for the uh, for the cause of trying to uh, to unravel uh, the mysteries of this world of of this existence of of our you know singular existence as a species and of our inner selves and uh, and for me you know a lot of people don't like politics a lot of people just aren't interested and can't relate to this sort of stuff when we talk about the uh, the supernatural. A lot of people, you know, don't get into economics or finance, you know. Others do. 
everybody has something that interests them. Personally, I do find economics interesting, um, maybe because I'm a nerd. But you know, I, I find it very interesting. I, I, I like politics. You know, I'm kind of a political junkie, and the the supernatural and study of UFOs and things like that has always been something that has fascinated me. I, I personally get enjoyment out of it. Now, I do think also that in terms of uh, geopolitical issues and things like that, UFOs are are too often overlooked and in, in terms of things that actually should matter to us. Uh, matter meaning, you know, how do we continue to survive as a, uh, as a, as a species? And if our survival means, uh, you know, eliminating or at very best understanding things that could potentially be of danger to us, uh, you know, then, then we need to learn about them and, and accept them and understand them to, to the best ability or, or to the best of our abilities, rather. Um, I think that uh, UFOs and the inerrant destructive potential of craft that can outmaneuver any of ours and that can disable nuclear warheads in mid-flight and all this sort of stuff um, that can emit radiation that literally causes people to develop, you know, bizarre forms of cancer and die as many, you know, circumstances have actually, uh, uh, you know, done. And, and, and this, this is something that has happened many times. Look up the Cash Landrum sighting or, or numerous others. Um, the thing is, is that if there's a destructive potential there, it's something that should be looked at, um, which is kind of funny because yeah, I think that when it comes to, Approaching this sort of research from that mentality, it is both important, but nonetheless, as I said earlier, it's something that fascinates me. So where do we go with it? Well, I think we just have to be as logical. I know me personally. A lot of people, they, they, they do it solely for f- fulfillment. I know a lot of researchers, you know, I, you know I, I, I can think of a few that probably really are doing this more for money than anything else. I know I, I don't. I, I get fulfillment out of being involved in this kind of chase, so to speak, I'm fascinated by it, and I like to unlock mysteries and try and unravel puzzles and things like that. Um, and for that matter, my, I think probably my favorite literary character is Sherlock Holmes, so I think a bit of that's kind of reflective with, you know, with regard to me specifically. But also, I do think that you know, when it comes to what we find important, there are aspects of this research that I find important, and therefore I am also compelled to do it. So I can't speak for everyone. Where do we go? How do we approach it? You know, and is it really dealing with anything more than just ourselves here? Um, I think it is mostly the you know the nature of the beast, and we are the beast. You know, it is about human <laughs> nature. But yeah. for me, you know, it's something that I'm compelled and driven to do. And I won't speak for others, but I'm sure that there, and I'd hope sincerely that there are other people out there that, for the same reasons, you know, are are involved in this sort of research. Well, how do you? Um how do you feel about uh, – and, and this has been my notion that I've talked about on this show a couple of times now. Um, clearly, when we're talking about something like a trickster element in these things, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a divergent. It's a, it's a dog and pony show. Um, my old research partner said to me one day, what would you do if you found out 10 years from now that this was all about folly, that this was nothing more than something to occupy you between birth and death? Um, you know, would you be disappointed in that? And I would say, well, obviously there's something out there that wants to entertain me, so I guess not. Um, but I've kind of thought about the way this thing operates, and I've looked at the way um, – people respond to it. I think that's what I'm more fascinated with than, than the actual reports anymore. I don't, the reports are, are, are similar and interesting and all of that, but 
it, it's become, I mean, you mentioned Cash Landrum, just for instance. Um, I mean, you can name half a dozen other cases like that that uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe weren't quite as intense. But sure, yeah. can, we, can we regulate that kind of event to the phenomenon? Not really, because we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, likely that there was a military element of that following this thing around, you know, almost says to a lot of people that this is a uh, probably a, a test flight of some kind of new aircraft that was going awry and God knows what else is, has fallen into that category. So it's very hard to take a sighting even these days or a piece of videotape and say, well, that's definitely this phenomenon because, you know, as UFO researchers like to say, um, we don't have anything that can do that. And that implies that, you know, what we have, which they don't. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think about all of this stuff mixed together. And so looking at how people react to it has become what I think is the most interesting part. And, and it seems to me going along with the psychedelics, the altered states, um, in both abduction, UFO stuff, ghost stuff in some cases, um, it seems to me like what the trickster is protecting is uh, what's after this, what's after this life. And I think for any of us to say we, we're going to be able to solve this thing, you'll solve it when you take your last breath. I think that's when you'll find out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's what is being protected here. I mean, I definitely get the sense that the, all of these diversionary things being thrown into the mix may be in part uh, human behavior, but in some part seems to be deliberate. Uh, there seems to be a, a deliberate of, uh, uh, of uh, yes, you're on the right track, lead you so far down the line, then cut you off and nothing, and you're left holding the bag going, what was that all about? And then it changes. I yeah. mean, my, my own experiences have changed drastically over the years um, and have never been, uh, I mean, I get the most nonsensical words out of, out of these experiences, the phrases and things that have been said that don't really make any sense to me at all. Um, what do you say to that? that? Do you think there's any, because I, going back to the DMT thing, you mentioned that at death, you know, this is, uh, this is released in a massive way when people are dying. Well, it's also released in a massive notion when people are being born. <laughs> At birth and death are the two highest rates of, of, uh, of DMT dumps. Um, and then you've got this whole notion of it's the seat of the soul. The, the, the pineal gland is the seat of the soul. So I refer to DMT as like the rocket fuel of the soul. Um, uh, is all this stuff interconnected also with near-death stuff? In your opinion, I mean, are we looking at something that could be um, something we're not going to be able to realize in this form fully until we we reach that other state after this? Yeah, yeah. There's a good, there's a distinct possibility. You know, um, it kind of brings us back to the notion of what I mentioned earlier with regard to Bigfoot. You know, and and, and reports of Sasquatches disappearing. Brad Steiger specifically telling me about you know instances where he felt like he was hot, hot on the trail of something, and then that something just disappears. Uh, you know, and I've spoken to other people, uh, you know, who literally have said, you know, I've always believed in these things. I don't know what to make of them. I've actually had encounters. I've seen one before, and the thing literally, you know, decided to walk away, you know, after I noticed it. And as it's walking away, it disappears, vanishes in mid-step. 
funny thing is people say the same thing about UFOs. Are, are they hallucinations? Are hallucinations, in a strange way, a part of the human physiology? Are we meant to hallucinate, much as we, you know, some propose we do at the time of our birth and at the time of our death with these uh, DMT dumps, like you mentioned, Jeff? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing where I think that, yes, in a sense— it's almost as though some of this stuff uh, is <laughs> representative of not a continuous valid phenomenon, but, you know, little little fragments uh, that hint at a phenomenon that we are just shown glimpses of at times. And see, this at this point, it almost becomes a philosophical discussion. We are clearly talking right now more about the human experience than the actual phenomenon per se, because it, right. taking, taking this, you know, uh, approach, the phenomenon is in itself part of our humanity. Um, so I don't know, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different, well, it isn't, it isn't as much as we perceive it. I mean, this is, this is the, this is the part of it that I can't, I have a hard time getting people to understand when I'm talking about this is that we can't really separate ourselves from this phenomenon. Like you, you talk about dissecting it, but we're always dissecting it through the goggles that we have on. Cause it's all we got, you know, and, and clearly those goggles as applied to like ufology, or at least, abduction phenomena stuff, it seems very clear to me, and, and I'm sure other researchers have said this, and I, I can't be alone in this, that these beings can alter perception in us like that. And so how are we to know uh, what's being perceived and therefore how to dissect the perception that we have? You see where I'm coming from with this? I think so. And, and, and breaking it apart into the two elements there, there's the aspect of it that we can't control, and then maybe there's the part of it that we can control. We may not ever be able to control the way that this phenomenon appears to literally affect us, whether you mean physiologically or whether you mean spiritually or, or, or all of the above. What we can change, though, is that part of that perception knowingly has been built up by our own expectations and our own innate curiosity and our tendency to look for the next clue and anticipate what's going to come next. And therefore, again, I say we have crafted kind of the, the loose facade of a story, okay, around what we hoped would be a middle, a climax, and a resolution, okay, when in truth, if the nature of the universe is fairly chaotic, those things don't exist. And we have to look at separate phenomena individually and just say, hey, you know what, unfortunately, we may not ever know the entire truth, but we may be able to learn more about these individual elements if we just try and break them apart and look at them. One's thing, one's you know a perception that we can control to some degree. The latter of those two, the other, as you had mentioned, it's probably going to be something that will continue to fool us. You know, it is so innately a part of us uh, that that we'll never understand it. But but I know that you know in in terms of of what we can and cannot do, one of those uh, you know thought processes, if you will is something that we can control and manipulate. It's not too late. Most people just don't want to do it. The other is something we'll have to learn to live with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as far as uh, at least alien abduction stuff goes, you have mentioned very early on in the show that, you know, to dump the entire regression hypnotherapy line uh, or, or typical scenario, let's put it that way, um, doesn't leave us with much. But in fact, there are a lot of people who remember experiences outright. Sure. Uh, and and uh, and and have you have you spoken to a lot of people who remember completely outright their entire experience or most of it? Uh, and how do you find that that differs from the scenario of Hopkins, Jacobs, Lamb, so on and so forth? 
You know, I haven't spoken to that many people who have recalled their experiences outright. What's interesting to me is that um, a lot of the time, people who say that they remembered things without hypnosis uh, recalled, they had recollections uh, sometimes through dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and actually, a, a good classic example of that would be, uh, you know, the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Uh, here they were. Here they observed a UFO craft in, in 1961, and they were traveling along. They actually, according to some st- sources, literally stopped their vehicle on a few occasions to observe this craft through uh, binoculars, which immediately says to me that you know when they got home and it was more than two hours uh, longer the, the drive home than it should have taken. I wonder if this, this could have also factored in you know stops that they may have made and how long. They had spent actually observing this object through binoculars as they had said that they had done. But all that aside, after the initial experience, there was no actual memory. Betty and Barney go home and they, gosh, can you believe those little guys? Boy, they were weird. You know, they don't remember immediately the actual experience. Betty Hill, okay, claimed that she had remembered but through dreams. Can we actually call a dream a memory? This is something that I've noticed that a lot of abductees have, uh, have talked about. They will say that, you know, I began to remember through vivid dreams, but a vivid dream may be representative of something that actually happened, but in the truest sense, it's not a memory. When I lay down at night and I dream that I'm being chased through the woods by a Sasquatch, I doubt that that is something that actually happened to me, but rather a dream that I'm having based on maybe something that I'm interested in. Um, that's, uh, as a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that that's 100% the case every time when I have a dream about a Sasquatch or something like that chasing me through the woods. Uh, now, could I go so far as to say that people who might have an interest in UFOs uh, might lie down and have a similar dream, and they begin to have reoccurring dreams about UFOs and things begin to wonder, huh, I wonder if I'm actually experiencing memories and then they feel justified when their quote unquote memories are, you know, kind of verified through hypnosis that occurs later, which we may, you know, consider bunk. I, I just to put it all out there, I, I don't trust hypnosis at all. You know, I don't want to disclude the possibility that repressed memories might resurface through hypnosis. But there are so many instances where, again, that's been found not to be the case that I don't I, I don't look at that as something that's reliable uh, in 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 terms of research. So. When we look at how that pertains to the you know the early cases, Bud Hopkins, and keeping in mind that you know that there's the two influential books that came out you know in the 1980s, uh, Communion and Intruders. But in uh, Communion, of course, Bud Hopkins you know was was a key player there, and uh, and all this had to do with you know Whitley and uh, you know Bud's uh, um, abductees, the people who had come to him you know undergoing hypnosis and recalling these events. In many instances, people who have said that they've had recollections, uh, in truth, had had these recollections via dreams that preceded the hypnosis. And I don't know that the dream aspect, in terms of considering that a valid memory of a real event, can be any more trustworthy than hypnosis. Now, that is not to say, though, that everyone who has who, who has you know claimed to have been abducted uh, was either dreaming or you know was later hypnotized and made up the entire thing. But I'm telling you, in terms of people I've spoken to, um, I can't right off the top of my head think of, of, of one individual who said, you know, I was on board that craft and I came back. They put me back in my room. I remembered the entire thing. It really bothered me. And I finally told my wife two days later, yada, yada, yada. You know, I've, I've never actually encountered a situation where someone said this without a shadow of a doubt is what happened. And I remembered it. Mm. Well, we need to talk, don't we? Yeah. That'd be uh, good. But again, again, not to say that people don't say that. I'm saying I've not had people come to me and say that. 
I know that there are reports and that they exist. Well, I mean, it's just, for me, the the hypnosis, the whole hypnosis argument, I mean, right now for me, it's it's kind of a a done issue because uh, I don't know how much more that can be presented uh, about it. Uh, After the Lillenfeld show, I was pretty much, um, pretty much summed up exactly what I thought about it over the years. But, um, you know, even as far as um, uh, what you were talking about earlier about car accidents and and this sort of thing, and, and maybe it being a valid tool for something like that. I mean, again, we're talking about, something that that is an altered state and how can we how can we use hypnosis it's one thing to say uh what'd you have for breakfast this morning well i don't remember well lay back and count back with some 10 uh you you might actually remember what you had for breakfast then you might then again you might remember eating your cat um but at the same time that's a that's a real event that you know you did you just can't quite remember or place what you ate um Whereas this is a much more, <laughs> this is a much more broad experience. So this is a little harder to pin down than you know what you ate for breakfast or how long it took you to get to work this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me uh, let me play devil's advocate for a second here. Yeah. Um, so if we can't trust hypnosis because it's an altered state, how do we trust altered states of mind with DMT and the such? You can't. How, how do we say that those? <laughs> how, well, how do we say that those reflect anything other than hallucination? Because other people see the same things. Yeah, but because it's because the same things under hypnosis. Well, that's after contamination. (laughs) How do you know it's not after contamination? Well, because the men because the men in the Amazon drinking ayahuasca are painting flying saucers, and they've never had contact with Western civilization or our culture at all. You know, so figure that out. I mean, you know, there's no cultural contamination going on in the jungle, <laughs> you know, as far as that goes. And these men are painting. I mean, the the one uh, uh, the one painter he just passed away recently. I mean, his, aliens and uh, and and UFOs in the truest sense of what you think of as a machine uh, in the sky. Uh, he painted with you know amazing detail, and uh, this was not something that he was exposed to. Uh, as far as popular culture is. Um, and, and even when you're talking about DMT, I mean, parts of the experience at the onset, uh, I mean, I don't think DMT has been that ingrained in culture, and even in the drug culture for that long of a time, in the broad sense of, of drugs uh, or psychedelics. Um, you know, people were saying there are beings there, there are people there, there are, you know, entities there. Um, and describe these, and and again, uh, it's an altered state, but we're talking about something that wasn't widely talked about. Um, You didn't have leading questions going on. This is an experience that's being related. Um, Nowadays, if you took DMT, would you go to the elf nest and, and be approached with all these little mechanical chattering beings? Judging that I've listened to Terrence McKenna every night for the past year and a half, I would say I probably would. Uh, would I trust that? I, I doubt it. Uh, I'm certainly polluted in that, in that way. Um, but I, I think, um, you know, when it comes to hypnosis, that's a whole other bag. I mean, uh, you're talking about something that's been all over the media, um, that's widely available in print, Um you know, the, the first, I guess, being Betty and Barty Hill being one of the first ones. But, uh, 
you know, that, that whole scenario of the medical experiments and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if too many people who recall their experiences that I've talked to over the years that say it had any medical slash sexual component to it at all, which I find interesting because I, I hadn't either. Hmm. What, what kind of things do they describe? Uh, usually a lot of geometric shapes. Um, you'll get a lot of very, very bizarre uh, visuals in the sense of um, people's faces changing, uh, thinking that you're talking to one person when, in fact, you're talking to a being that, that doesn't resemble the person you started talking to. I had that, uh, and I've had three or four other people tell me exactly the same thing. And these are in waking states, not asleep, that sort of thing. Um, the relocation thing is a big deal. That seems to be really prevalent with a lot of people. Um, they don't know how they got from point A to point B, but they certainly remember it seamlessly going from point A to point B, but the, the distance and the time doesn't make sense. Um, and, and there's all sorts of other things that, uh, that have come up. I can't say with any – I don't know that I can say with absolute consistency, but they have this familiar odor about them, <laughs> you know, um, that, that just all seems to speak to – I understand how I'm seeing this, but I can also turn my eyes to someone else's perception and say, I can see how you would view it that way. Again, these are very personal, tailor-made experiences, so finding continuity across any group of people is going to be slightly difficult. But there's definitely uh, there's definitely components of it that feel very familiar. And the DMT, this is what I recognized in what McKenna and uh, and Strassman were talking about. I'm like, wow, I I do have those sort of elements going on here. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you can uh, I don't know how you can separate the altered states other than to say one seems to be a lot more contaminated than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and geologically, we can talk about, you know, how uncontaminated certain parts of South America are. But uh, uh, I guess I'm at the point now where I want to make the argument that uh, if we are embedded in this larger ecosystem or this larger environment that we have blocked out with structure, and so it takes being anti-structural to get through to us um, or to pierce that veil or, or whatever, that we are actually right now living in an altered state of consciousness. Oh, yeah. And, and that's why, <laughs> you know, the indigenous folks just sort of roll their eyes and go, boy, you guys are just don't get it. <laughs> well, well, and that's why the experience, that's why I like the alien experience, whether you're on DMT or whether you're sitting in your living room drinking coffee. Um, that's why everybody describes this stuff as more real than real. Hyper reality, that feeling of hyper reality is terrifying. Um because it's almost like you're asleep and someone's shaking you awake violently out of a dream. It's that kind of starkness. It's that, you know, everything kind of has that lunar quality and you don't quite know what's going on. Am I having a stroke or, you know, what's going on? But, yeah, I mean, I think this is the, the, the altered state. I think you're absolutely right when it comes to that. I mean, um, I think we're living the delusion right now. <laughs> so, yeehaw. Happy Living New Year, in, everybody. Yeah. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs> Welcome to the alternate universe, yes. Right. That's right. 
Oh. Well, uh, Micah, you have generously stayed an extra 40 minutes or so. <laughs> Guys, that just, if you have me on as a guest, I'm, I'm so used to that because, you know, I call it mouth of the south, call it, you know, diarrhea of the tongue, whatever you want to call it. You know, I, my interviews tend to go long, but I'm always glad to stick around. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Yeah, you as well. And tell everyone what your website is and what your book is one more time. Oh, man. Well, it depends on which web- website you want to go to. I've got a new radio program I'm doing, the Micah Hanks Radio Program, and you can just go to Micah Hanks, M-I-C-A-H, Hanks like the actor Tom. It's MicahHanks.com. Uh, but the website I'm, I'm, I'm best known for is the Graylian Report, and that's uh, G-R-A-L-I-E-N Report.com. And, of course, my book you can purchase there through the website, Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule, the Search for Sentient Intelligence from Other Worlds. Very good. Uh, thank you very much for joining us and, and um, staying extra long and closing out our year. Oh, gosh, yeah. This, this has been fun. You know, this, is, this has been one of two year-end wrap-up shows I've done, and I'm just thrilled that people think enough of me to have me come on and, and, and you know, discuss the entire summation of a year's worth of, of wonderful weirdness with them. So, uh, you know, Jeff and Jeremy, uh, let's do it again sometime, and you guys both stay in touch with me and everything. I've been following your work, you know, and, and uh, of course, you know, I'll, I'll look to see more from both of you in the future, too. All right, sounds good. Micah Hanks!